Here on Global News Radio, Dave Vaughn is taking the reins on the show tonight, as he does quite often on a Monday. And the phone lines, look at that, already open for you. You have questions about uh, your employment, your severance, your job. It's uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. And if you prefer, one triple eight two two five talk That is toll free. Reach out anytime with email, help at employmenthour.com. We'll get to that, discuss severance pay calculator and a bunch of good things on the show tonight. Termination and severance, what you need to know about that. Uh, well, some emails will come along as well. And if we get to it, if we have time between your calls, the worst times for an employer to terminate employment. So if you're an employer, listen to this hour. It's going to be key for you, some information you possibly, quite possibly don't know and will uh, we'll benefit from having for sure. But we always start with the week that was. Big Dave, what do you got uh, going on in your corner? Yeah, the uh, first scenario I wanted to talk about uh, arose in the context of a uh, contractor, someone who is considered an independent contractor. And in, in many of these cases that we discussed, it, you know, the employer uh, treats the, you know, this individual as a, as a contractor, independent contractor, and then says, you know, you don't have any termination entitlements. And the facts actually point to this uh, individual being an employee. And we've uh, gone over uh, num- you know, a number of different uh, cases and situations like yeah. that in the past. This is a bit different because in this case, um, the person, like I said, was treated as a contractor. So they're just paid, um, you know, invoiced the company and were paid those amounts and then had to deal with their own taxes. Um, the, the individual that was there for nine years and uh, 90% of their income came from the company. Wow. From the employer. Um, with that said, they were not an employee. So they, they set their own hours. Um, this individual uh, you know, decided when to work. If they wanted a vacation and take a couple weeks off, they just did. Um, you know, they'd give them a heads up, but there was no requesting time off. Gotcha. Um, you know, they didn't have set hours in terms of Monday to Friday, 9 to, you know, nine to 5. Uh, they got to choose when, uh, this individual got to choose when they uh, provided the services. Um, yep. the, he also had subcontractors uh, that worked for him, so uh, sometimes he would uh, get some, some people to help him with the work, and he handled that entirely. Uh, he also used his own own tools and equipment uh, when performing the job. So, um, in my view, this person was not an employee. Uh, but that's not the end of the story because ninety percent right. of their income did come from this one employer. In the Therefore, dependent contractor. Yeah. And uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but dependent contractors are still entitled to you know severance pay and termination pay uh, upon termination. Now, they're not entitled to the minimum employment standards act amounts, but they are entitled to common law severance pay. And uh, you know, generally, the courts will look at the same factors. Um, that, you know that we look at for employees age years of service position and the availability of similar work and um, you know I would say there's a bit of a trend that maybe they get a bit less you know the if uh, you know in this case if an employee is going to get you know 10 to 12 months maybe this uh, individual gets nine to nine to ten or something like that but it's not significant at all and uh, you know in, in most cases they, this the notice period of severance package is going to be very similar how often do you run into a dependent contractor generally, would you say, over a course of six months? Does that happen? A couple times, Max, I would say. But in that, you know, there's a lot of times, I don't know the exact amount, but it would be, you know, 15, 20, you know, at, at least times during six months where I'd run into a contractor who should be actually considered an employee. Right. So the dependent right. contractor situation is quite rare. Uh, I find that most cases when an employer calls someone and treats someone as a contractor, they're actually an employee. Gotcha. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. The phone line's already open for you with your questions throughout the uh, the evening. What else you got going on, Bill? 
Yeah, another uh, case I dealt with recently um, involved a fixed-term contract. So my client uh, started working for this company pursuant to this contract, and um, it was for a year. And a couple months in, the employer decided they didn't want to go continue with it, terminated the employment relationship, Mm -hmm. didn't give the person any termination pay or notice of of the, uh, the termination of the contract. And the contract didn't have a termination provision, so it didn't say that the person could be terminated within a specific amount of time or upon providing a specific amount of termination pay or or notice of termination. So what happens in these scenarios, and a lot of people don't know this, is that you actually get the balance of the contract. So, and this was a devastating uh, for the employer when they learned this because, you know, this employee only had a couple months of service. So in, under normal circumstances, under common law, they'd probably be only, you know, entitled to one or two months worth of severance pay. But in this case, they were entitled to almost nine months of severance pay. Wow. Um, because it was just the, the rest of the contract. They were titled to their, you know, the pay that they would have earned had they continued working for the rest of that, uh, the term of the agreement. And importantly, um, you know, a lot of the time what we talk about is mitigation um, when someone's let go in terms of uh, their common law damages. And we say, you know, any income or most income that's earned during that, um, you know, common law notice period is deducted from what the employer owes the employee, not in the case of a fixed term contract. In a fixed term contract, it's well established that you just get the, the, the balance of it. You can go get a job right away, and uh, that, that's what this individual did. So um, it, it was very uh, tough situation for the employer to be in because um, they really didn't know this when they they entered the agreement, and uh, you know it's you know the employee ended up uh, you know doing very well. And uh, I think what it shows is if you're an employer, be very careful about entering these fixed-term contracts. I know a lot of employers are interested in doing things. They say, well, we don't want to have any obligations beyond you know a year or something like that or whatever right. the term is. But all you do is uh, you have an indefinite term contract, um, like, like most employments are and what, or employment agreements are, and what, you know, if there's no contract, what it's deemed to be, but have a specific termination provision that allows you to end the relationship uh, with a, you know, by providing a certain amount of notice or termination pay. And that protects you from having to uh, be on the hook for, you know, if you're doing a fixed-term contract, for the, the balance of it, or if you're doing an indefinite term um, for, for something you're not comfortable with. Would that be something that if now I'm on the other side of the table as the employee, is that something that I could possibly negotiate out or at least negotiate a bit of a better term? If they want me, I assume they're throwing me a contract. They want me for the job, right? Yeah, the um, you know I, t- I speak to people all the time, and uh, you know over the last uh, I think several days actually I've had a number of conversations like this where an employee is offered a contract and uh, not not a fixed term contract, just a normal uh, you know normal employment agreement, and uh, there's a termination provision in it, and uh, you know the the employee says, well you know can you tell me what this means? And I explain you know it, it basically limits you to the minimum termination entitlement established by the Employment Standards Act, which you know, are quite minimal, as, as you know. And um, you know, they say, well, what can we do about this? Uh, you, you can always negotiate, but your negotiation power and your ability to do that is going to be a lot uh, better and stronger if you already have a job. So if they're recruiting you from somewhere else, because um, the reality of it is if you don't have a job, um, I, I, are you really going to turn down a job just because in the event they do terminate you somewhere down the road, right. you're not happy with what, you know that amount. Yeah. Um, but if you are employed and you're being recruited, or even if you're considering another job and leaving your secure employment, it's very important to negotiate uh, those terms, or at least be comfortable that that is what you're, you know, what you're agreeing to. You bet. Uh, we'll get into it here. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. If you have questions about your job or just something you've always wondered about, uh, you know, the workplace and what your rights are, what the laws are, common law. 
etc. Give us a call, one triple eight two two five one triple eight two two five. Talk toll free to call in on that. The email address is simply help at employmenthour.com. Termination and severance, that is the topic and the header for this part of the show anyway. So I know this, but just for new listeners, the ones who are our weekly listeners know this as well, but I'm going to throw it out there. I know you want to uh, to fill in the blanks. Why can't the Labor Board or the Ministry of Labor, the proper name, help an employee uh, that lost his or her job? Yeah, so the, the Ministry of Labor can help employees, but only recover their ESA, so Employment Standards Act, termination entitlements. So it's th- their ability to do anything um, is very limited, and it's limited to the Employment Standards Act. Anything beyond that, which is you know usually what you know employees should be should be after if they're let go, uh, the the Ministry of Labor can't help, and that's your common law termination entitlement. So I can give you an example. So let's say we had a long service employee with uh, thirty years of service, right? And uh, let, let's say that the the employer is not severance paying, so their their payroll is below two point five million. Well, this employee would only be entitled to eight weeks of termination pay under the Employment Standards wow. Act. And that's all the Ministry of Labor could help this employee get. On the other hand, the employee would probably be entitled to write around 24 months, so two Hmm. years of severance pay under common law. So if you go through the Ministry of Labor, that's that's what you're giving up. Um, Even if this is a a decent-sized company with a payroll over $2.5 it's still the ESA entitlements for this individual would be limited to 34 weeks of severance and termination pay, uh, which is basically just right around eight months. And that is, again, significantly more or, or less than the common law entitlement, um, which would be up to two years. So the, the Ministry of Labor's ability to assist is very limited. Uh, and, you know, in certain circumstances, it may be a, a decent route, such as if you got a new job right away. So all you're after is your minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. But right. in, you know, I'd say in my experience, 99% of the cases, you're going to want to not go that route and, uh, and you know, start, start the process by negotiating with the company. And if that doesn't work, going through uh, the litigation and wrongful dismissal process. Yeah, you've, I mean, you've often said as well, uh, Ministry of Labor is okay when it comes to overtime issues or unpaid vacations. Stuff like that, you're okay to go there, but just when you when you when you you know put crosshairs right into severance pay, stay away from it. Just stay away from them. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, you know, it, like I said, in certain circumstances, it can be the the, the route to go, um, but in a majority of it, uh, especially if you're after common law severance, which is right. um, from a dollar perspective, the uh, mm-hmm. you know the heart of um, you know your your termination entitlement and the entitlements that arise from your employment, um, it, it does not make sense to go that route. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell, 1-888-225-TALK, toll-free, lines wide open, ready for you to ask your questions about uh, your job, your employment, possibly you've been let go or calling in for a friend or a, a family member, no problem, that's uh, that's cool as well. Termination and severance, so how often do you come across inadequate severance? Now that's an easy one. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm always surprised when I see an offer that's, that I tell someone to accept that's reasonable and it's really rare um hmm. I, you know, I, i'm talking several times a year wow. uh, i find you know in the vast vast majority of cases the employer has um you know made a low offer and uh, with the intention that you know they're a they're hoping the employee just signs it doesn't want to yep. be bothered with it or b they're they're expecting the employee to negotiate 
And, uh, you know, whenever I see people who, or talk to someone who ha- does have a good offer on the table, uh, I explain that. And I, I find there's always a bit of disappointment in the sense that they think that, you know, I, I'm going to be able to, to help them get more. And I always tell them, like, look, in most cases, uh, you know, 99% of these cases, I would be telling you, yes, that is, we should be trying to get you more. But um, in this case, it, it is a good offer. But that, that is very rare. And I'm actually surprised when that does happen. Yeah, it's the whole uh, it's the whole fight for severance. But uh, I think, as you've mentioned before as well, you can go it alone, but you're only going to get so far, even if you're you're well under what your ESA uh, or pardon me, your uh, your common law severance should be. If you walk in there on your own, yeah, you might get a, a few shekels more, but to get a guy like you on board, it's definitely going to be a different ball game, right? Yeah, and that's um, you know naturally people uh, people wonder that it's like, well, you know, if I, if these are my entitlements, if um, uh, this is what uh, I should get, why shouldn't I just talk to them myself? Right. And right. you know, I really don't. I always say, you know, I don't think it can hurt to do that, just to the to the sense that um, you know, as long as you don't. You know, hurt your negotiating position. So, um, don't say a low number. Say basically the high end of what we, you know what we talk about. Um, you know, if you want to say that and see what happens, uh, mm-hmm. go for it. But uh, I always basically find that uh, the individual has to call back because if you do that, uh, the company, whether you're dealing with a manager or human resources, has the idea that okay, they're not going to take this seriously. They're not going to pursue yeah. this. So, if we just uh, maintain our position, they're just going to sign off. And I, yeah. I think that's the signal you give. Uh, when you try to you know negotiate on your own. The talk uh, termination and severance is the topic of discussion for now. You want to call in and ask your questions under that or anything uh, having to do with your employment, your job, no problem. Phone line's wide open, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Employ you to call now and get your questions in, one 225 talk That is toll-free. And the email address, help at employmenthour.com, is the Employment Hour Monday Night Edition right here on Global News Radio. Plenty of time for you to call in. Look at that. Uh, build it and they will come. Love to hear from you. Uh, 416-870-6400. Star 640 on your cell. You have the option of one 225 talk That is toll-free. And emails we'd like to get to a little later on. That is help at employmenthour.com. We'll continue with our discussion of a termination and severance with Dave Vaughn in here doing the show tonight as he does on Mondays. First, phones always priority. Bill, thank you for uh, for calling in, my friend. How are you? Taking my call. Hey, Billy, what's going on? Um, so I worked with a company as a dependent contractor, independent contractor, um, and I was promised the opportunity to purchase a franchise after about three years in. Um, so I worked my butt off for probably, well, I was there almost 20 years hmm. um, with the understanding that I would be able to purchase a franchise and continue on building my business. So I built that, and I built it. I worked hard, long hours, and then when my boss tried to sell me the company, the head office franchise declined that sale. Do I have any legal recourse? Do you still work there? No, because that just, I was totally steamed, and I gave my, I gave him actually three weeks' notice. Okay. And, and I quit. <laughs> and when did this happen? About a year ago. Okay, and how quickly, did you find a new job? Oh, I had a job right away. Okay. Um, it's it's possible. Uh, I, I don't know, but um, it's possible you could have have an action about, uh, and it would be basically negligent misrepresentation. Um, so if they made representations to you that, um, you know, this is something that you'd be given um, and, and you know, it didn't come, you know, come through, uh, it's possible you'd have damages arising from that. Uh, but unless it's you know in writing or um, or something like that or an actual contractual term, it would be difficult to likely difficult to establish that. 
Okay, yeah, that's what I thought, too, because it was only a verbal agreement between my boss and I. Right. Not now, I mean, we didn't. look, verbal agreements can, you know, can hold up at times. It's just, um, you know, it, it may be a, you know, he said, she said situation, which is which is difficult to pursue. Um, and uh, is there any, did, did anything happen at the time you resigned other than this that, that led you to do it, or was it purely this decision? It was purely this decision because, I mean, I literally worked my butt off to have this as a retirement business. Right. It's a great little business to work at as a retired person as well. Yeah. Um, and when that was yanked out of me, because, again, being a contractor, you don't have all the same um, retirement funds and all that stuff, so you got to set your own money aside. Um, so I counted on this as part of my retirement, and then that was yanked. So, yeah, I was just, I was steamed and like, yeah, okay, bye-bye. Yeah, that's that's a tough uh, tough situation to be in. Um, I would be surprised if there were you know, there were were damages there, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't speak to someone, um, you know, and at least uh, you know see if there's something there. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much for your call. Love your show, Bill. Appreciate uh, appreciate the call. You want to reach out any further? Another discussion. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to get a hold of Dave and the rest of the crew and uh, email as mentioned help at employmenthour.com you can uh, call us right now here on the air like uh, like Bill just did 416-870-6400 star 640 on cell get to uh, to Axel hey Axel thanks for hanging on the line how are you not too bad thanks yourself good brother what's uh, what's your concern tonight uh, okay well the crew that I'm on I work for for a roofer mm-hmm. in York region We've got this one guy that refuses. He will not even try to pull his share of the weight. I'm a I'm a laborer, but I can shingle faster than he can, and he's supposed to be a shingler with several years' experience. You there? Yeah. Yep. And we're all getting so fed up with it, and and. The, the employer, he's actually told him, like, look, you've got to start pulling your share of the weight. Um, otherwise, I'm going to have to let let you go. Now, he's been warned several times in regards to this. Now, my first question, seeing as you got the scenario, would that be considered um, the employer causing a toxic work environment? But, like I said... <clears throat> We're all getting sick and tired of it. We just want the guy fired. We we want him gone. Because, well, I shouldn't be doing more work at the rate of a laborer than shingler's getting paid. Right, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, you know, I, I really, you you wouldn't have much, you know, this wouldn't really give rise to much in terms of um, you know damages for you or, or an ability for you to do something about it. Um, no, it would be my my your employer. employer as well. Yeah, yeah so I, I just want to try and get him some information. Yeah, so you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a, a toxic work environment. What I would what I would say is that this employee uh, is obviously not performing uh, up to you know the the standards expected of him and communicated to him. Um, for your employer to be able to do anything about it, uh, it's very important that uh, he or she you know provides this individual with um, written warnings. Uh, about the job performance, and uh, you know, provides this employee with an opportunity to improve and to to understand what the standard is. Uh, otherwise, any attempt to terminate this employee for cause um, will not be successful. 
Now, I, I, sh- I should also say, though, that the employer has every right to let this person go with, without cause and just provide them with a severance package. Mm-hmm. So the employer at any time can, can decide, I don't, I don't want this per- person working here. Uh, even though it may not rise to the, to the just cause standard, um, they can still let them go, and that's the, the employer's prerogative. Okay, now, one last very quick question. Uh, myself, I've heard them verbally warned a couple of times. Uh, several of us have heard them being warned. You better start picking it up. Or, so now, seeing as there's witnesses in regards to he's been verbally warned, would that make a difference in regards to being in writing? It would. I mean, it's better than having no warnings at all, definitely. And I appreciate that some workplaces just, you know, the way the way they operate, they're you know, it's they're not going to, um, you know, provide uh, written warnings. Uh, but it would be much better if there were to establish just cause. It doesn't mean you know you can't try to rely on it, but um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, having it in writing is pretty important. Appreciate the call, my friend. We'll move on. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Next on the line, we get to uh, to John. Hey, John, thank you for hanging on. Good evening. Hi, how are you doing, guys? Good. What's going on with you? I have a question. Um, I was wondering, does a company have the right to have video and audio running in the company? It's a federally run company, a trucking company. And the uh, video, yes. Audio, no. So an employer and no one actually can record, audio record, um, you know, people when they're not involved in the conversation. Okay, so I was in a situation where I went into my supervisor's office to check my working schedule for the following day. Yeah. And I wasn't aware or even the company wasn't aware that he had his own personal webcam with uh, audio hooked up to his computer in his office right which is open to everybody the web uh, yeah the webcam wouldn't be an issue it's the audio that would um under the law okay so even though the company's basically saying that they can have audio with video. They cannot have that. That's against the law, correct? Yes, they should not have audio. Uh, video they can have. And uh, although with that said, the company could have a policy you know, saying that their employees and managers are not to have either. Um, so they could actually say, you know, we don't want people recording, making video recordings here either. So uh, the, the, you know, it's the, the company can do that. But uh, without knowing their you know, rules and policies and procedures, the video would be okay. The, the audio would not. I mean, assuming it's, it's not in, you know, somewhere inappropriate. Well, no, it's, it's in, Just his, in office. his office. So that's allowed. That's permitted. Uh, the, the video, the, the audio would not be. Okay, so basically now if uh, the company states that uh, he had permission to use his own audio and uh, video camera and that was allowed to do, so basically the company could be in trouble for that as well? If if the company knowingly allowed him to have an audio recording of, of people, uh, of a conversation, then they could potentially be, yes, liable as well. Okay, is there a sort of a recourse that could uh, be done about them? Uh, I mean, uh, audio recording someone is actually can be considered a, a criminal offense. 
Um, in terms of the employment aspect of it, um, I mean, you'd have to show some type of damage uh, to get some type of monetary um, you know, recourse. Uh, I can say that they would, in terms of the audio, they wouldn't be allowed to rely on it to you know, try to establish um, that you did something wrong or, 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 uh, you know, or discipline you, though. Okay, so even though they have signs posted that it's 24-hour surveillance, but the audio is not supposed to be attached to the videos, basically what you're saying. Exactly. You've summed it up perfectly. Okay. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Th- thanks, John. Appreciate uh, your call. You want to reach out again further, possibly in the future, one eight five five eight two one. 5900 and help at employmenthour.com is the email address. And for the remainder of the time, we're here, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale to call through and get your questions answered as well. Termination and severance. So if, uh, put your employer hat on now. How can an employer minimize the cost of severance that has to pay an employee? This is would be really important for a 20, 30-year guy, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's huge for long service employees, um, and uh, especially for smaller employers. And right. uh, the best way to do that is uh, before the employment relationship starts, is to have the employee sign a contract of employment containing a provision, a termination provision or a clause that specifies how much severance pay or termination pay they are entitled to. And uh, that way, the employer knows exactly what the cost will be uh, if they do decide to let the person go. Now, these clauses can, uh, you know, limit the employee to the minimum termination entitlements established by the Employment Standards Act, or you can be a bit more generous than that and provide some type of a formula. So you could call it two weeks per year of service, uh, you know, to a certain maximum, uh, a month per year of service to a certain maximum. Really, it's up to up to you to decide as an employer what you want that to be, as long as it's a abides by the Employment Standards Act. Uh, and B is uh, is clear and uh, you know understandable. Uh, that is the best way of doing it. One thing I find that it arises in these uh, w- with these situations is employers and it does ha- seem to happen with the smaller employers. Um, you know they they learn about this. They say, oh, I didn't know we can have this clause that limits the the termination entitlements, and then they just. They give out, they hand out contracts and, and have people sign them, and right. they contain a termination clause. The problem is that most of these contracts aren't signed with uh, in exchange for valid consideration. So uh, the employer doesn't give the employee anything for signing it. So if the employee is signing the clause after they've started work and they're not getting a promotion, uh, a bonus, or a salary increase, well, it's not going to be enforceable. So it's not really going to be worth the paper it's written on. So it's important if you're going to introduce it. I mean, best case scenario, you introduce it before they start work, right. and, and it's part of the job offer that they're accepting um you know worst case scenario is you know they they sign it while they're employed but you have to give them something of value for that such as a signing bonus or a uh you know a raise or a uh, promotion what happens with ei if you receive severance i know people ask that all the time too oh one more point i wanted to make actually john on on the um minimizing the cost of severance is uh, I'll, I'll um, you know speak to smaller employers, and um, you know sometimes they have long service employees, and they say you know they ask about the person's termination title, and sometimes they may say, oh, is it just the eight weeks under the Employment Standards Act? And you know you have to break the news to them. No, this person could be entitled to you know two years worth of severance pay. You may be on the hook for. It. They say, well, you know I can't pay that. Well, there's a couple different ways of fulfilling your common law termination entitlements or obligations if you're the employer, and one of those is working notice of termination. So you can actually you don't actually have to pay the person a lump sum. You can actually just give them notice of when their employment will terminate. So you're still getting value and work um, for that money. The other way to do it is to actually have um, you know a combination. So you could give them you know some working notice, and if they stay, um, and at the end of that they get a lump sum payment. 
another way to do it is to do salary continuation. So they're not working, but you continue their salary. And, and the, if the you know they get a new job, you stop paying them, and maybe you give right. them uh, you know a, a lump sum payment just to reward them from getting that new job and encourage them to do that. So um, you know sometimes we talk about some pretty big numbers here in terms of what employees are entitled to upon termination, but yep. it doesn't always have to be you know done in you know one lump sum payment. I'll ask that question again, but first we got a uh, we got a phone call standing by. Ben, thank you for hanging on. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing right. How are you? Excellent. What's uh, what's your concern? Um, I'm calling on behalf of my sister because uh, she works for a company where she has her daily pay, like so eight nine to five, mm-hmm. and then she also works. Uh, the, the company also gives her an after hours or overtime uh, pay as well for shipments that she does outside of her work. So her overtime uh, pay uh, is close to forty percent of her annual pay. So the company that she's working for wants to change that overtime pay schedule to where it would effectively be 5% instead of the 40%. Um, can she take the, when the company decides to do that, can she consider that as a constructive dismissal? Wow. So that's a 35% yeah. percent reduction in her pay. Yes. Yeah. That would be uh, and how long has she had that? She's been working there for close to five years. Okay, and, and that's always been consistent, that overtime? Uh, for her, yes. It's roughly the 30 to 40% on her annual salary. Yeah. So that, and, that, and that's been consistent all, the, all those five years? That you're um, yeah, because yeah, like maybe not the first year because she was just uh, training for it. Right. But once she was like within her the next few years, it's been pretty much consistent. Yeah. Okay. So that would, uh, you know, that would likely be a constructive dismissal. Um, you know, the the important thing there is that it, you know, it's essentially become an implied term of her employment that she will be given those types of hours, um, that type of hours, and be able to, you know, given that opportunity to earn that compensation. So changing that, yes, would uh, likely constitute a you know significant change to a term of employment, which could be a constructive dismissal. Um, you know, so, some factors that may, you know, would be used by the employer against her or get on that argument is if she has some type of an employment agreement she signed um, that you know gives the employer the discretion to give overtime um, so that allows them to actually stop doing it uh, or makes it clear that that's discretionary uh, and uh, you know that, that's the type of thing you're going to be looking at from the employer. The other argument they'll make is you know we never we were never obligated to give overtime um, something like that. But um, given how consistent it's been. I would say it has become a term of her employment that she gets that uh, you know that overtime and should expect that compensation. So uh, I do think it would be a constructive dismissal. So um, I would tell her to give us a call and we can talk about how she wants to proceed and how she wants to deal with it. Okay. Um, once it gets closer to the time where they want to change it, I'll have her give you guys a call. Though. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a good call. And uh, the one thing I'd say is make sure she doesn't accept that change um, at least for you know longer than a, a couple of days because uh, that's, that's you know just like I said you know that became a term of her employment. Um, she could she lose that as a term of her employment. If she accepts it for too long. So, Ben, appreciate that. Here is the number for uh, for your sis. Uh, it is one eight one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Again, one eight five five eight two one. 5900. You can also reach out, get a hold of Leora Dave, member of the uh, the whole crew at help at employmenthour.com. Uh, remainder of the show, still got time. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell to have your say, have your questions answered, 
as well. one 225 talk That is toll-free. We are talking about in general termination and severance. So, yeah, I was getting to it. Uh, EI, what happens to EI if you receive severance? Yeah, sorry, I cut you off on that one. Yeah, John. man, that's all right. Um, that's all right. So if you're let go, uh, you should definitely apply for EI uh, as soon as you can. Uh, it's important to do, start that process quickly. Uh, the general rule is you do not receive EI while you also receive severance pay. So let's okay. say the employer right off the bat gives you six months of severance pay without having to sign anything. Well, you're not going to qualify for EI until the end of that six months. With that said, you should still apply because the company will know that you're getting, or sorry, the, the service candidate will know you're getting that EI and they won't start it until the end of that six months. Uh, let's say you're in a situation where you're not given any severance or you're given a, you know, a, a small severance package and then uh, you don't sign it, you don't agree on anything, so then you start EI. And let's say you get six months of EI and then we, you know, we resolve it and you get uh, you know, a 10-month severance package. Well, you're right. actually going to have to pay back some of that EI um, because of that rule. And you would not then get it until 10 months after the termination um, because that's the amount of EI you got. Or sorry, the amount of severance pay you got. So um, they do get, you know, the Service Canada will ask for that money back because you can't have EI and uh, severance pay at the same time. Um, but it's still important to uh, to resolve it. And the good thing is also to apply for it and uh, and uh, get that figured out. Um, and uh, it's important to know too that let's say you are given a severance package. Uh, of 12 months, so you actually don't get EI for that time, but you're still unemployed at the end of it. Well, at that point, you would then become entitled to EI. Oh, I see. I get it right, right, right. That's, see, a lot of people wouldn't know that. There's, there's a, you know, you can't double dip, basically, is what you're saying. You're not double dipping. You can't double dip, but um, but if you still are unemployed after the severance you know, period runs out, well, you would then you would then be entitled to EI. The severance just means it is, it's as if you were employed until the end of that time period. So if you're given, you know, Six months of severance pay. It says if you were employed until you were, you didn't lose your job at the time of termination, you lost it six months after, and that's right. when your EI starts. Is it likely to be able to successfully negotiate severance with a large employer like a bank, a uh, car manufacturer, or is it tougher with a mom and pop shop because they're not sophisticated? What do you think? Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, you know I speak to people all the time, and uh, one of the big uh, concerns people have is you know I tell them their severance entitlements, and they say, yeah, but this is a huge company. This is a, you know I'm sure you've heard of them. This is you know they're they're going to be able to fight this. They have all this uh, you know be able to you know. Have David pay, and Goliath type of thing. Yeah, resources, exactly. Yeah. Pay all this money to to scare me off. And you know, it, first of all, your from a legal perspective, your termination entitlements do not at, at common law, anyways, do not depend on the size of the employer. So you know, a, a one or two person company is the same as a five hundred person company uh, in terms of the severance you're owed. Uh, so that should never impact you. And I actually find dealing with bigger companies is actually easier because um, they don't take it as personally. Um, you know, they're they handle it with a, you know sophisticated human resources and legal team, and they're going to know the law and they're going to know what the what your entitlements are. And uh, you know, after uh, you know pu- pushing back a bit, I find that uh, big companies are. Are often willing to uh, to provide uh, you know a fair severance package that should not deter you at all. And you know half the time they're expecting at least some of the crew if it's if it's multiple firing someone's going to come back with a lawyer and yeah and, and get more money. They're lowballing everybody. They're trying to save a few shekels. Right? Yeah, and you know look, uh, big companies have been through it before, right? So they know right. how it works. And you know they they may uh, offer you a low severance package to begin with and hope you that they you know you are intimidated into signing, but um, you know it shouldn't it shouldn't stop you from doing it. And uh, just like you know I've had situations where the the employer says, well we're just a really small company, we can't afford that. 
um, you know, we can't pay this person a severance package. Well, it doesn't change the legal entitlements. It doesn't, it doesn't change what the employee is entitled to. Uh, and if you are the employer, you know, that, that's the time to use those, um, those mechanisms such as uh, working notice of termination or uh, installments or salary continuation to be able to pay for that because the legal entitlements and legal obligations on the employer are the same. I'm thinking if a person's, you know, it's one thing to have a salary job for 30 years, maybe get yearly raises, and you're fairly consistent. So, you know, the math isn't difficult even for the layman to figure out if you get let go uh, without cause. But if you're in a type of job like uh, a sales job, for instance, where your year-to-year income, your compensation can change drastically, how do you guys comp- how do you guys uh, calculate rather severance? Yeah, those those ones are always tough because uh, you know the employer is going to say it's just base salary, where the right, employee is right, going right. to say it's it's total compensation. I mean, in my view, the easiest thing to do, and I, I think this is what courts will do um, at the end of the day, is look at the T fours. So they'll look at the last you know three to five T fours and see what the average compensation is. Yep, now, if sense. in the, the principle is you get all forms of compensation, so you can't just be paid your base salary, uh, especially if you know the bonus or commissions and car allowance make up a big part of your total compensation package. So you get all that stuff. If you can be given a car allowance, even if you don't need a car, you need the monetary equivalent moving forward for the duration of your severance, yes? Yeah, the general rule will be it should be the taxable benefit. So whatever you're claiming on your T4 and your income tax, um, you know, the, the personal benefit, that's what you should get because right. um, you, you don't get the, you know, the, the business use of it, but you should get the personal use. And, um, you know, the one, um, you know, not exception, but thing to know about that is, yeah, we look back in the last three to five years, but let's say your compensation kept going up. So, you know, right. Well, they're not. We're not going to look at the, the last three to five years because that's not really an accurate uh, depiction of what you would have earned had you stayed working there. And similarly, if you if you had really good years five years ago, but it's been going down a bit, uh, well, it's probably they're probably not going to look at those uh, you know those those mm-hmm. uh, years five years ago. So um, you just have to look at the reality of the situation. The principle is: what would you have earned had you stayed working there for the notice right. period? Some good stuff tonight, my friend. We'll uh, we'll leave it there for another evening. We'll uh, pick it back up on Wednesday evening with Lior and then the weekend shows. And, of course, Employment Hour 30 happens on Global TV and CTV. And that is on your weekend mornings as well. Reach out, contact, first severance pay calculator. Find out what you're really owed. That is a good baseline. And then reach out and contact Dave and Lior and the firm after that if you so wish. If not, walk away. It's completely anonymous. 1-855-821-5900 is the phone number. Now that we're done and the email, you know it. Help at Employment Hour. Until next time, Employment Hour, we are done.